Confidential Podcast, brought to you by DaytimeConfidential.com. On today's show, ABC gets a new head of daytime, Stefano's memorial takes place on Days of Our Lives, Katie's drinking problem worsens on The Bold and the Beautiful, and Victor is arrested on The Young and the Restless. All this and much more on today's show, so stay tuned. Jamie Giddens, welcome. Hey. Mike Jubinville, welcome. Hello. Sarah Babel, welcome. Hi there. I was going to start this podcast with ABC getting a new head of daytime, but when I sent out the topics of people for people and what they were interested in and talking about, Sarah responded with a topic that was Dr. Michael Easton to Electric Boogaloo. Now, I don't know what an Electric Boogaloo <laughs> is, but it was hilarious enough that I thought I'm going to ask. And we can start off with Michael Easton playing yet another doctor on General Hospital. Did you not see that classic movie, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo? Now, Sarah, no. I know you are our newbie, but now you know... If it's not Oprah Winfrey, Rihanna, or Beyonce, that is the extent. <laughs> or Gabrielle Union that or is Loretta the Divide. Of Luke's <laughs> black, black but, pop culture. But I, when, I can recall <laughs> As the World Turns making an electric boogaloo joke with like. Um, and it flew oh. over his head. He was yeah. somewhere wanting to know when Carly Listen. and Jack would go look at their compass again while that was happening. <laughs> La- this last week, I texted Jamie and I go, "Who is little little mama?" And why did my timeline just, just blow up with her say, name? I busted out laughing at that. It's like I almost we need a damn sitcom deal because in my eight years of trying to educate Luca the black experience. I get this. I'm at Starbucks writing, and I get this text: "Who is little mama?" And I have to stand <laughs> Luke speak, and I just busted out laughing. I'm like, Lord. <laughs> I was like, I don't like, I haven't had much time, so I logged into Twitter, and as I'm logging into Twitter, I'm seeing all That's these comments. You have about so many little mama, we, there are and so I'm many like, black and gay the... soap fans who follow DC, and so sometimes whenever black Twitter is talking about something, Luke is just like, "What's going on? I need a translator." <laughs> Pretty much, which is why when it came to the electric boogaloo, I was like, "What the hell?" Well, my is first this? fear was because this little mama ain't doing too much. I was like, "Oh Lord, I hope little mama ain't dead." And then I go to because you know you either when you're trending, you've either done something stupid or you're dead. So it was the the latter. <laughs> she had done something stupid. Some new video that people were clouded. So at first I was like, "Oh, that little mama died." Because why else would Luke be saying anything about the mama? <laughs> this is how things work with Jamie and I. Um, let's talk about General Hospital. Michael Easton, Sarah, what do you think? I'm just like, it's it's too cute. It's the same issue I had when, like, you know, I'll, uh, when Ron did the recast of, you know, the Landview 3 and all new characters and the wink and the nod. Like, we can't have Michael Easton be another character. Like, and this is nothing against Michael Easton. If Michael Easton popped up on another soap, I'd be like, yay, hooray, Michael Easton. But, like, he's already been Clay. He's, you know, Silas Clay. We've already had the references to him being Caleb in this universe. We just... I don't, him being another doctor, what, Silas is going to have a long last twin, or are they going to pretend 
Nobody notices well, the Well, Silas resemblance. does have a long-lost twin, Stephen Clay. Clay, and that's not right. not playing him either. He's going to be playing a doctor, according to what was in Soap Opera Digest. Mm-hmm. And again, like I'm like, oh, you're just messing with me, GH, because I'm always like, oh, there should be more doctors. And they're like, oh, yeah, you want another doctor? Well, we're going to give it to you in a way that will annoy you. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, look, I don't want to, like, pre-criticize a storyline that I haven't seen that could be great, but I'm just like, I don't see why they are doing this, and it feels like they're going all in on Michael Easton is the thing that will save the show, and I don't I don't that, understand that. that. I realize he's popular, but my god, half of his characters require no-dos or five-hour energy to watch. It's, he does have a tendency to play the same guy. I mean, the only like you really time can't tell any difference unless he's got a cop uniform or a, a doctor's coat. The only time he's ever come alive on screen is opposite of Tuck Watkins on One Life to Live, ah. and on uh, and on rare occasions with Kelly Monaco in the when magic strikes. I, I cannot believe that I'm going to have to be the defender of this move. I, you know, I'm a fan of Michael Easton, but to say on rare occasions he's come alive when he was part of multiple red hot ABC daytime pairings two with Kelly Monaco. There was, you know, the Caleb Morley Livy story on Port Charles and also with John McBain and um, John McBain and Sam on GH. And he was also really hot with uh, Renee Ellis Goldsberry and you, people loved him with Melissa Archer. I wasn't a big fan. Of I I am not no, denying but I'm not, his yeah. popular or I did know, not. But you did say you, I'm saying that his char- the characters he portray always have on the exact same occasion. Thing. He was exactly with no. Watkins. I never said so like, when did he come alive I, on screen. With alive. Watkins was, he he always plays the same dour, barely speaks character. I get that, but I'm just saying he has come alive in more than just scenes with Tuck Watkins. But I will say I agree with the consensus. I don't think this is a smart move. This is more of daytime doing regressive, stupid stuff. You know, it makes no sense for him to come on as another character on this show. If I tweeted this, if Kerry Washington leaves Scandal, they're not going to bring her back as Sylvia Priest. It's stupid. It's part of the stuff that makes daytime get laughed at and poked fun of in movies like Tootsie and Soap Dish. This is dumb. Primetime wouldn't do this. Daytime shouldn't be doing this. And especially the gush fest that went on in Soap Opera Digest with Frank and the writers acting like this is the smartest thing that they could possibly be doing, bringing on Michael Easton as a fourth character on the same show is beyond asinine, as opposed to, say, bringing back Ingo Rademacher to mix things up as Carly and Sonny's marriage implodes yet again, or actually bringing him on as the villainous Valentine Cassidyne, which was promised years ago by Guza's regime and never happened, or anything smart and modern. If you had to, I don't think, you, you just, they shouldn't have brought him back, period, because the show is already chock full of people that mm-hmm. core fans of this show 
don't want to see. Instead of rebuilding the quarter mains, instead of just giving it lip service and actually going, hey, you know, there's Jimmy Lee Holt out there. He had a kid, maybe. Or let's bring, you know, back Ned full time. Let's, you know, Days keeps dumping Wally Kurth instead of offering him these recurring deals. Let's put Wally Kurth on contract and bring back Adrian Leone. Instead of doing smart things that the actual audience wants, they keep just doing the same. Well, let's just go back to what we were doing under, you know, the under the moves that's, that you know that got Ron fired. I mean, I, I don't understand how Frank is hanging on with the wing and a prayer. He's tweeting, you know, today about how wonderful GH fifty two was. You know, living in the past, talking about what great storytelling that was. Ron wrote that. Ron got fired. So what are they actually doing at GH some six to seven months later? to actually show that the, any of them need to keep their jobs. Because this is not, you know, they're just well, patting themselves on the back. It, it's, it's masturbatory and it's gross. It's like, let's pat ourselves on the back on how clever we are. That You're not that clever. Days is doing it too. They're bringing back Daniel Cosgrove after they killed him off. This isn't clever anymore, people. This is really dumb to be doing this in this genre. It doesn't, it's not going to make TV line sit up and take notice. It's not going to make anyone write a feature in Entertainment Weekly about how soaps are coming roaring back when you're just bringing back people that you killed. You know, they already brought back um, Jeffrey Vincent Paris from the dead. So, I mean, who's next? Uh, they can't Helena. Kelly Sullivan because she's at, at Y&R, I mean, you know, who's next? Duke Lavery? Are we going to get interviews about how awesome it is that they're bringing back Duke Lavery and patting themselves on the back for that? Well, they're gushing because they're trying to sell Ambien. Mike, <laughs> I have a question for you because I want to touch on this quickly. Uh, what did you think of Tracy's seizure this week? Well, I'm kind of curious as to what, what the deal is. I, I don't know if it has anything to do with her time with her ex husband but you know it always comes down to something that you and i have groused about before is that if she's being manipulated and tricked by another man it's just gonna drive me crazy but jane elliott's acting the hell out of it and she acted exactly the way a wealthy woman in a hospital would just demanding this person go and this one come in and making sure that you know her secret is safe and you know i'm yeah, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. It gives her some time on air, and, and you know, I, I can't complain about that. So She had a well, seizure well, because she was at the floating rib. What, <laughs> what one percenter that, do you know hangs out at a rib shack anyway? Well, there's a lot especially with, with in that soaps and money that doesn't make sense to me at all. So, I, you know, that's like a, an aside. We can't make a whole episode about how – Wealth on, on the shows is completely misused. Well, a couple episodes ago, I tried to keep you guys on on outline and it failed miserably. So this time I'm going off script. I want to go around the circle here real quick and see what everybody's thoughts are on the latest incarnation of Mob in Port Charles. Jamie, I know you were a big fan of the Mob back in the day. Do you think Running Guns and Paul and Ava and... Anna and what limited access Sonny and Morgan have in the story is interesting for a mob storyline? No, not at all. I, it feels like a porn spoof version of a Guza mob story. Number one, Guza mob villains were always compelling, whether it was Faith Roscoe 
Lorenzo Alcazar, Luis Alcazar, Manny Ruiz, they all came on, you know, guns blazing. You know, by the time we got to the Balkan, he was kind of burning out. But generally speaking, Guza's mob villains were menacing, sexy, dangerous, and galvanized the canvas. You know, they got this guy from Bargain Basement Casting um, at Big Lots. You know, Frank just pulled up and dumped him in the back of the trunk and, and brought him. You know, it made no sense. There was no threading of this story to showcase that there was this looming jeopardy. Yes, we knew that Paul was, you know, wanting to run guns through Ava's gallery, but there was no real buildup or tension or any type of undercurrent of danger in Port Charles. The sunny factor was just, oh, he's faking paralysis so that he can save the day. That was all really stupid. Why the gunman would show up at that church full of people with one gun talking about, now I've got hostages. That was stupid as fudge. Um, It made no sense. And then, you know, you have all of these characters acting out of character, to, to sell it. You know, Carly's big dramatic at the end of it. You know, Carly has Kiki's blood on her hands, and it's such a psychological moment for her that she has to throw the guns into the water. Okay, so, you know, I've always been a big, huge fan of Sonny and Carly and their mobster shtick, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to be the devil's advocate to the people who hate these stories. You mean to tell me when more when a bomb blew up at Michael's birthday party... That wasn't enough for you to wash your hands. You, Michael getting shot, Michael killing his mobster stepmother, going to prison and being raped, having to send Morgan off to boarding school to keep him safe, Sonny going rogue and planning to kill Jax. All of these things that Sonny and Carly, herself getting shot in the head by accident as she delivered Morgan, none of these things were enough to make Carly say enough is enough. But some vapid blonde nothing getting shot on the docks is enough for her to sling those M16s into the water and say, enough is enough, Sonny Guns! You know, it just screams of all the behind-the-scenes crap that we've seen happen since Nathan Varney took over, and we know he and his homie don't like the gun stories, don't like the mob. And so now that agenda has been pushed to the limit, betraying everything we've ever known. I mean, this is the Carly Corinthos that when Sonny was immobilized at one point, who took a baseball bat to a meeting with the five families, smashed it down on the table and said no one would be taking over Sonny's territory because she was going to be the lady boss of that territory until Sonny was back. Now, because Kiki was shot and Morgan has the bipolars, it's, I can't deal with this anymore, Sonny! I don't understand. I don't get why. You know, who needs anyone to praise GH? Because they are in praise themselves mode every day on Twitter. Aren't we great? Aren't we swell? Isn't this the best work? You don't see any of the actors from the other shows doing this. You don't see any of the producers and writers of the other shows doing this. No one needs to praise them because they're praising themselves. And it's like, who are you doing the show for? Yourselves or the audience? Sarah, what are you? What do you think of the state of mob storylines on General yeah, Hospital? Yeah, and I mean, if they wanted to get rid of the mob, like frankly, Ron had organically sort of pushed, you know, 
made it a smaller portion of the show and had evolved Sonny in a different direction and it sort of changed the, I guess you'd say the moral balance of GH and then they just went and brought it back and like if they were gonna do this like why not have like the hot new neurosurgeon be secretly like a, a mob's like hired in the mob's pocket and was like supposed to like F with Sonny or something so it'd be some sort of unexpected something and some conflict this is just this is just so lame like it's like who cares it's like the C team or hell if like Ava just decided Okay, Sonny, I'm tired of you messing with me. I'm just going to be the biggest, become the biggest, baddest mobster on the Eastern Seaboard, and I'm going to own your organization. And she goes through some, like, Godfather-style rise to power, you know, as, like, you know, to quote um, Jamie's um, hero, Jackie Collins, becomes a lady boss. Um, I could be into that storyline. But this, this is just, like... It's a bunch of tertiary characters. Nobody's really dying. Nobody, it's it's just who cares. Mike, what are your thoughts on the mob? Well, I I would echo that what they said, but you know, ultimately for me, um I have said it before that they if they're going to go through the mob stories, they need to own it and just go balls out and do it. You have to like the characters. I get a sense from Jamie talking about, you know, Faith and all uh, Alcazar and all these people like them and rooted for them. And I feel like when I watch Sonny, I, I don't have any feeling for him whatsoever. I don't I don't care what happens to him. So I don't I don't I guess in the sense I don't like his character at all because he's the biggest hypocrite ever. And um, Carly is just Laura Wright saves that character. And um, I just felt like the whole thing, even though there was a lot of action and everything that was going on, it's like Sarah said, nobody was going to die. Nobody was going to get hurt. Even even this whole thing with, you know, Kiki getting shot, it really should have been Morgan Her or death. Michael or – Let's be honest. If Kiki had died, we would have said this was the greatest story since um, BJ's death. <laughs> right, right. That's true. But, you know, the other part, too, is I feel like, you know, they switched Paul's – character into a, a guy a good guy and now ava hasn't out and she's worried about whether she wants to still be in the mob so i don't even know what they want to do i really don't there i'm so confused sometimes by the direction of these characters ava could have been like the bossest mobster ever and now she's in the hospital going i think i need to get out of this because my kid's in danger well you know your kid's always been in danger you've known that so you know it just annoys me why, if they're going to do mob stories, why can't they modernize it and just, you know, read a newspaper? There was a story in NP on NPR about how the European Central Bank is wanting to do away with the 500 euro because mobsters use it as their, you know, their money laundering. Uh, that's their currency of choice. You know, you've got Obrecht in charge of General Hospital right now. She's tied to Faison, one of the most dastardly you know, criminals in, you know, the whole general hospital mythology. Why isn't she laundering money for Faison and then Sonny finds out about it and wants to muscle in? That's all part of the show's history in a way because Sonny, you know, donated to the stained coats, I mean, stained, can't talk, the stone Kate's wing. I mean, he could be trying to force Obrecht to let him run, you know, dirty money through 
the hospital and Anna gets wind of it and tries to, you know, uses that to finally punish Obrecht, take Obrecht down and go after Sonny. Just something, we've seen that same ridiculous doc used over and over and over again. It's like, there's it's, nothing. It's a, it's a picnic, uh, or it's you're the event on money. Days of Our Lives. It's like, you're trying to run stuff through my territory. We never know what, you know, even Guza never let us know what Sonny was shipping. So it's like, it's just so lame it that those type of stories could be you know eaten up in the 90s pre sopranos pre all of these shows that show us 9-11 you know what is going on in the world you know yeah 9-11 exactly i mean mobsters help raise money for terrorists I mean, that's another thing, you know, um, I've talked about this before, you know, luxury goods, there's a whole big luxury goods, uh, fake market that they use, the Taliban uses to, to, you know, raise money. the money for their funds and their guns. There could be all sorts of intricate, smart storytelling done with this. Not they could be doing it. Of, I mean, that oh, this is really going to sound terrible, but and maybe I'm getting my shows confused. But at one point, weren't they going to try and like do some sort of like rebuild an area with Michael's little clinic and whatever? Yeah, yeah. When you when you any any time you do a rebuilding of a waterfront or something, there's the potential for all kinds of mob stories because they might be ha trying to have their fingers in it. This whole Jamie, purpose of this story, though, was you know when Nathan took over the show. And he was giving all those interviews. He kept talking about going away from mob violence. So they, they, instead of coming up with an organic way to illustrate why mob violence and why guns are bad, they turned it into, in my opinion, a after-school special. When Carly Corinthos, mob queen of the world, is throwing those guns into the water dramatically, I'm rolling my eyes because I'm like, this is not in character at all. Carly and it would relished. be better hidden, I would hope. Yeah, Carly relished. Yeah, she has definitely had her issues with Sonny's violence over the years, mostly when it affects her children. But this, to me, just reeked of we're going to push our agenda. And unlike with Shriners Hospital for Children, we're not even going to get paid for this. Because at least they got paid for the, you know, the Shriners branded content story. And, and kudos I to that. I, Jamie, what, I believe that Jocelyn would not have been schooled her entire life about what it was like to be uh, affiliated as a mob child. Oh my I don't, god, that, yeah. That, that was that, such a horrible mistake. Those scenes were me. so stupid. It's like, it Carly's all, don't tell your little friend. It's yeah. like Sonny's face has been plastered all over the local news. Groomed, and you, you have to be groomed to know how to handle that from, like, right out of the cradle. Up. Infancy. Yeah. That scene was absurd. Yeah. Those children know Sonny's a mobster. I mean, <laughs> it was just so silly. And she's all, don't tell your little friend what we were talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure if Sonny's supposed to be the biggest mobster on the eastern seaboard, he's what, Gotti size? I'm pretty sure Jocelyn's little friend's parents know. Already and, know. You know. Jamie, I want to ask you, what does Rebecca Campbell taking over ABC Daytime mean? For General Hospital. Okay, so I have been sussing this out, and so, you know, I don't want anyone... I'm saying this all as, you know, this woman has just taken over this gig, so I'm not, you know, I don't want anyone tweeting at her any thoughts or 
demands on behalf of what we say here. What I have heard about her is that she is very mon- money conscious, um, that she's a very she's a bottom line person, and which you know networks need that in this day and age. Um, what that will mean for GH, I'm not sure. I do know that a plus is that Frank Valentini is the executive producer known for keeping a show under budget. So as long as that's still the case, they're good there. Um, her background is mostly in, you know, syndicated. So, and, you know, she doesn't have a creative background, you know, in terms of story development. So I'm assuming, um, you know, it'll, I don't know what, I mean, Varney technically works for Vicki Dummer, who is the executive vice president for current series. I don't know if Varney is going to, continue to have a role at that show my preference is i hope not i would love to see her hire someone you know a west coast based you know abc daytime executive to give notes to frank on that show who is actually a storyteller which sarah saidi was when she was in that role you know they it really they need a, a seasoned storyteller, a former daytime writer or someone who, know, you know, our Sarah Babel sitting here with a Harvard degree and Emmys. And, you know, that's the person who should be giving Frank Valentini story notes about. Thank what, you, Jamie. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because Sarah Saidi came in through the ABC daytime writer development program and Brian Franz loved her so much that he was like, I'm going to put you in charge of, you know, there wasn't a staffing position for her at that point. So he made her an executive and she's the executive that gave notes. And this is one thing, you know, writers hate executives who give notes, except for Sarah Saidi. You can't find a daytime writer who has anything negative to say about her. I guarantee that will never be the case for Nathan Varney. They need a writer's writer on the West Coast, giving notes to Frank and the team, not Varney, who's coming at this from, I don't know what his perspective is, but they need a writer. She need Rebecca, who, you know, again, Rebecca's not a creative. She needs to hire a story development person who actually, it needs to be in the interview. Do you love this genre? Do you love, tell me what daytime soaps you grew up on. They need to recruit someone in who loves and gets this genre. And there are so many former soap writers out there who would be great. Our Sarah Babel, you know, there's Sally Sussman Marino out there. There's Karen Harris. There are people that, that need that type of role that actually know what they're doing and not... Varney, not people, I'm not, you know, if Varney had never made himself known, I probably would have never known anything about him. But since he did, it's like, this is the textbook example of an ambitious, overly eager suit coming in to screw things up. And that's the first thing Rebecca needs to do is get a competent development. Or not development, a competent story uh, person, executive, a story consultant, executive role, mash it up together. That can also be the person that finds the branded content things and move Varney away from it. Step two, you can't have a publicist 
on 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week. I've heard both. I've heard that the publicist works 10 hours a week and I've heard 20. 10 hours a week just gives you enough time to get those 40 cast members corralled to their respective soap magazine interviews. That doesn't take into account the beast that social media has become specifically for General Hospital. They need a full-time show publicist for General Hospital. They need a competent executive under Rebecca giving story notes. And then they need to force Gene and Shelley to turn in a six-month long, you know, Bible full of long stories for that show. No more of this well, we're just cleaning up Ron's mess and we're just making it up as we go along and we've got some good story coming for Jeannie Francis and we've got some this coming. And we, no more of that. These people are being paid too much money. They need to be forced to write beginning, middle, end, six-month-long stories. And if they can't do that, then they need to be replaced. And Frank needs to be told enough with your going out and trying to cast people from other shows or bring back people that we let go six months ago. This is bullshit. Enough of it. And enough casting modelizers, himbos, and vapid little nothings. This is Mark Teschner has one of the best resumes ever. This guy found some of the greatest talents this genre has ever known. And if you've noticed, since Frank got there, we're getting the qualities went downhill. Hi, Maxie, I like you. I'm your boyfriend. Hi, Maxie, I'm Dylan. Hi, I'm pretty though. Enough of that. Enough casting with your cock. It's both Nathan and Dylan. You know, enough casting with your cock. Let's get some talented actors for the younger set again. I mean, you know, he goes after big Watt veterans from YNR who can act. But then for the newbies, it's a bunch of vapid little nothings. And that has to stop. And they have to start telling engaging, compelling stories. You know, now that, you know, Gene and Shelly in the interview were talking about how they want to write more stories about the, the hospital. So that's why Tracy has a brain tumor and Michael Easton is a doctor. How about actually reading the New England Journal of Medicine and, and actually dealing with medical issues that are going on in this country? Well, so, well and here's a, here's a story that would part. be... It's like, you know, there was a report recently about, you know, black men and AIDS. You have a gay character on the show. I'm not saying give Felix AIDS, but what if he had a partner who had AIDS? They could explore the whole prep issue. It's a hospital-based show. Um, it's definitely well, and here's here's another one: the fact that opiates are such a huge deal that any one of these characters could have a major opiate addiction. And no, well, no, no, no. Done that before. Before that. Well, no, but yeah. but I'm saying, but I'm that. saying, considering the fact that, like, in the even in the election, they are like these senators are taking notice yeah. of the fact they that all these people after, are having. They can go they after can, the prescribing patterns of the doctors in the hospital and try to yeah, arrange. One of the, you know, yeah, one of the or doctors. Maybe a doctor could be on a take from a drug company, but I do not exactly, want to see another story. Uh, no, but, that, but that's what I'm saying. Um, there's my, ways. There's ways. There's ways to tell a drug story. With well, I mean, I'm 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 just saying opiates are in the news a lot. But you know, because... they could do. There are more things that you know. The Zika virus. General Hospital did Lassa fever back in the day, and from what I gather, this was way before my time. But it was one of their more more popular stories. There's a Zika virus. There were, before Zika, there was Ebola. You know, there are all of these types of. I mean, what if someone moved to Port Charles, and you know 
they came from Brazil and they had Zika virus and it causes, you know, they do that type of thing. You know that Grey's Anatomy is going to eventually do it. I mean, they, they don't even have to go off their own network to look at a long running, successful medical franchise. It's like, I'm reading that and it's like, we want to get back to telling more stories about, and that's great. And I love that, but it's like a brain tumor. Really? How many brain tumors has daytime done? Anything that gets a cliche eye roll, you shouldn't do. Brain tumors, seizures for no reason. That, those things have been done. To- Considering the last brain tumor that General Hospital did or ended up on the courtroom table in a jar, we really don't need another Yeah, one. I mean, they need to do what Grayson basically for the staffing purposes of that show, they need to have everybody that you would have on Grey's Anatomy. You know, you've got a chief of staff. They need they need chiefs for every respective. You know, they need more nurses. They need they need to stay, you know there needs to be a student nurse program. Get mm-hmm. Lulu away from that that garish bar, and you know let her decide. You know, now that I almost drowned, I really understand the value of life, and I want to go into nursing school. Maybe she could have a talk well, with her aunt Bobby. Yes, Hello? Exactly. You know, she talks to Bobby. And then she decided, and you know, you you get Lulu in nursing school. I'm not saying ever. I don't want. I want Maxie to stay a fashionista. But get Lulu in nursing school and deal with the, what it would be like for a woman who's a mother and a little older than you know. She could have some bitchy younger student that's like, you can't keep up, old lady. You know, some right in you know some 18 year old girl she's having to compete with in nursing school. That would be a very interesting story for a woman. You know, a thirty-year-old woman who's a mom trying to go to nursing school because second nursing career. One yeah, of the hardest, very common. Yeah, very it's common. a hard career, from what I hear. It is. So, well, yeah. a lot. And of, I also have to say, like, you've got two college-age students. Like, we've got, you know, both um, Molly and um, Christina. One of them could decide to go into nursing. Christina's got these problems at, at a Wesleyan. <laughs> that would solve it. Molly could decide to be a doctor. Molly would be a brain. Molly's going to be Christina from Grey's Anatomy. Mike, I have a question for you. While Lulu was drowning on General Hospital, Katie was drowning in alcohol on The Bold and the Beautiful. What are you thinking of that wonderful storyline? I don't understand why uh, somebody on that show cannot just not constantly be drowning in an addiction problem. Um, I, I don't understand. Like the whole thing with Katie drinking out of a broken bottle was just so pathetic and it happened so quickly. And, you know, I I love Heather Tom and I love Catherine Kelly Lang. But at this point, I feel like they cannot even save their story. They have dialogue written around a story that's not happening. And when I watched them. I think it was Thursday or Friday. I was just like, as good as they are, i just not feeling it. I am so tired of Brooke being dumped on by Katie. I just really need her to either say, I'm not coming near you anymore, or or just stand up to her and punch her in the face or something. Sarah? Yeah, I mean, and it's just so, like, not the way people who are – if you've ever known anyone who had a substance abuse problem, it's not like zero to 100 overnight. Like they make it up with both Brooke and Katie in the space of like a year and a half where I don't think I can't recall Katie ever having an alcohol problem. And, you know, if it were really geared more towards her depression coming back, 
and her making bad choices not to do with alcohol, just other bad depression-related choices, maybe that could be an interesting spin on things. But this is just ridiculous. Like, I don't get any sense that she has a craving for alcohol other than through Heather Tom's, as always, excellent performance, which she's drinking out of, like, a, a broken glass. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. It is sloppy. It is lazy. It, you know, it... It, and, I mean, it give, makes Katie look so weak and pathetic. Like, you know, let's have, I mean, a Katie who's like, you want him? Go after him. I have confidence in my marriage. And just, like, you know, and have her, meanwhile, start getting to know some other guys or something through work. I mean, just do something different. Like, I don't know what happened to Bold and the Beautiful. It's like. All like everything they everything everybody loved about it, they were just like, eh, let's stop doing that. Let's do this other stuff that everybody hates. She did Jamie, say that you just gave Oh, sorry. I was gonna say she did say that she stopped taking her medication, but if you do that with antidepressants, it, it could really be like a really difficult come down and they didn't really address anything. Well after that would that. actually be an interesting story in its own right. Like what happens when someone goes off antidepressants if you could put you know it different than all the time Sunny goes off his no, meds on G8 yeah. Luke knows what happens don't you Luke um, <laughs> Luke will ask me from time to time are you taking your medicine <laughs> he tells no lies because there are hard times but I know that Jamie's not on if his. I'm like Luke there are too many periods in this why did you put all these he's like have you taken your medicine <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you just gave a soliloquy about uh, General Hospital's writing problems. What do you have to say about this on Bold and the Beautiful? And the next topic we're going to be talking about, the fact that Liam's penis turns everybody into hope. I'm just going to be real about this. And this is more frustrating than GH because of what Sarah said, because we were so happy with Bold. And I feel that it just... I don't, this is nothing I have on Intel or anything like that. It just, from watching the show, I mean, Sarah already said it. It feels like someone looked at the show that everyone was loving and said, oh God, we have to stop all of this. You know, let's backburner Rick and Maya and, you know, let's, let's reheat these leftovers and in a very plot driven way. And it, B&B is the most plot-driven soap opera on the air right now, on daytime. It is so sad to watch because, you know, we were rooting. It's like, yes, progressive storytelling, right on the pulse of the transgender movement. There's so many other issues with transgender storytelling that they could be telling. Not that, that and that's not the only thing because I don't want, because it could easily be said, oh, he just wants it to be transgender in the beautiful, no. With Katie and Bill, I've always thought that from the moment that Brad Bell rebooted the Spencers, I feel he has missed so many opportunities to modernize those that crucible on the show. It's like his dad made you feel, and I've said this a thousand times till I'm blue in the face, but you actually felt the Abbots were running a cosmetics firm on The Young and the Restless when Bill was there. You actually believed that the Foresters were running a fashion house that was on the pulse of fashion when Bill Bell was writing that show. And Brad kind of just treats those empires as, you know, devices to facilitate 
silly love triangles. There were always love triangles and quadrangles on Bold and the Beautiful, but the, the actual business stories mattered. The belief, the men's line, the Brooks bedroom, there's none of that anymore. They don't even deal with California freedom or whatever it was that they launched from Maya. And there's such a natural thing tying in. Like they, they ignore the fact that the entertainment industry is in L.A., and I get sort of why they do it because it creates this big sort of mountain in a molehill that like because we're supposed to believe that these behind the scenes fashion designers would be big celebrities but like why wasn't there something where they're trying to get who you know whoever fake jennifer lawrence is in this universe to wear a forester creation oh, down to Sarah, the oscars i totally don't get why they don't embrace real life i mean if you look at sex in the city they weaved in every real life you know sarah uh, jessica parker's character carrie was going to work for Vogue and doing all of these things and, you know, running into these real designers. And Bold could be doing, you know, fashion bloggers are huge now. These girls are making, or young women, are making half a million to a million dollars a year. You know, they're the ones sitting in the front rows of all the runway shows now. You know, there are so many things that could be done with Bold and the Beautiful. With Spencer Publications, no way is Ion Fashion still making as much money as it did in the 80s. We've seen a thousand stories about how hard it is for these women's glossies to stay afloat. And there's nothing about that. That could be the story, the pressure that that puts on Bill and Katie's marriage. If, if Ion Fashion starts being, you know, toppled by fashion bloggers or things like that. Or Bill. What if Sasha is undercover a fashion blogger? Like, that's what she's been doing in addition to flipping burgers. And that's how she could get money to go to L.A. I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of things. You know, they, they kind of went, you know, I thought they might go there with Caroline with her Instagram and, and all that. Because that's what's happening in the real fashion world people are instagramming their way to fame and they don't even talk about fashion week and it's huge yeah, yeah that would be something that would be frustrating to a publisher like bill because here he's putting out these magazines and the actual you know and that could be the woman that comes between bill and katie this time some sexy fashion blogger who you know first like first she like annoys bill because he's like who the hell is this getting more page views than ionfashion.com. And then they bring her on and she's some sexy little thing. And Bill decides to give her a blog, you know, a, an official blog with the company. And then she makes a play for him or something. I'm, I'm, I am totally up for bold and the beautiful taking and embracing the current. I would just throw in a word of caution because we had to watch a terrible blogging story on the young and the restless. Yeah, they don't always end up well. That's, 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 no, yeah, I mean, that's why I like the stories shouldn't be the, the litmus. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying West does every year. There's a story about how Kanye West pisses off New York fashion designers because he's a celebrity and he gets to have his show, um, in, in, you know, ahead of your Zach Posen's and people like that. Not that I know if it's, but I'm just saying, why isn't there a Kanye West esque character on bold? Why isn't there some rock star celebrity who wants to come and design? They could bring back Usher Raymond's character, Raymond, and Raymond could decide he wants to be a designer and that pisses off Ridge. You know, because he's a real designer and they're having to entertain this celebrity designer. There have been a thousand conversations about Kanye pissing off real fashion designers. With the with my thing with Maya, 
she would be considered a transgender icon because you know how in this new world of celebrity, if you are a celebrity and you come out in, in any kind of way, whether you want to be or not, you become an icon. They could be de dealing with a lot of the same backlash that Caitlyn Jenner received with Maya as a transgender icon and then real tra you know, transgender activists who have been, you know, working diligently for years could be they could introduce one and she be resentful of Maya like how dare you get all of this praise when you lied about who you were and you know there could be, I mean because Caitlyn has had to deal with that you know Caitlyn has had to deal with her political choices and her religious beliefs coming in conflict with a very liberal you know viewpoint you know they they just it feels like they dropped the ball with this Let's just go oh so traditional and make Maya want to have a baby immediately. And, you know, what, what what does that do to a marriage when you're, you know, yes, Rick is, you know, Rick is someone who is very, you know, supportive and came to accept Maya having been born male and, you know, transitioning into a woman. But what does that do to your marriage when your woman becomes an icon and she's being asked to go speak at the glad events and this and that and he's grown up his entire life being a forester but then they're at events and they're like can you get out of the way mr forester we just want maya and then everybody's taking pictures of maya you know what about that i mean there's none of that it's oh let's have rick and ridge fight over stephanie's you know mausoleum who cares <laughs> Sarah, who cares about Liam's penis other than everybody? Um, the women on the show. Like it is like like I feel like it's like the kryptonite of um Bold and the Beautiful. Like you come into contact with it and it saps you of your powers if you're a woman. Because Quinn was so cool. And then she gets, you know, a taste of Liam and suddenly she's gone over her down with her cool, you know, black wardrobe that frankly is very authentic to like LA and the fashion industry and she's wearing these little pink shirts and talking about like oh all the stuff that I really liked I didn't really like that I wanted the sappy love stuff I didn't really like my little sex dungeon that I had with Deacon and all I really want is to like talk and tell stories and yeah by the end of the week she was like oh I have to, might have to kill him but like it really came like she was just coming <laughs> off and saying that to like get Deacon off of her back because she didn't want to admit how much she loved Liam and how Liam has made her a better woman, a real woman, a woman who likes to wear pink. Like, I said this on Twitter. This is, like, as disappointing as if you watch it now, the end of The Breakfast Club, when Ali Sheedy goes from being all cool to putting on that, in retrospect, like, fugly little pink shirt and lacy bow and, you know, so she can date the preppy guy. No. I like Quinn the way she was. And Everett Jack Quinn is now acting like Hope. Steffi was this cool badass. She gets with Liam and she's all oh, now she cares about is what did I do to make Liam so mad at me? What is this there? Oh now all I want to do is get married. No. This is what Liam is a Liam is a destructive force among the women of the bold and the beautiful. All of them need to stay away from him because he just takes the personality right out of them and everything that I thought was just hope was really hope being like drugged by Liam's dick. I'm sorry, but you know what it needs. It needs to Well meet up they like the white Logan. stuff. It needs to meet up with Brooke because her tentacles would reach out and snatch that <laughs> boy right into her love 
muscle and spit him out, and all of his powers would be gone. And then she'd look at the rest of them. You're welcome. Mike? Yep. What do you think of Liam's love stick? Uh, it's, it's, it's almost as magical as Sonny's, except it has the opposite power. Sonny just produces children everywhere, and Liam just saps everybody's mojo. Liam, Liam turns women into children? <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. yeah. Liam just uses protection. Uh, Sonny's like, Sonny I just, I just can't see how this story is going to end well. I really can't. Well, a story that ended, whether it's well, it might be up for debate. Sarah, Stefano was, had a memorial this last week on Days of Our Lives. Well, you know, I, I had mixed feelings about it, and I realized what it was was the directing was a little bit weird in the episode. Because I like that all of these people who had been, like, kidnapped and tortured by this guy and had their lives ruined by these guys all these years were having a... You know, thank God he's dead thing. That felt real. I mean, just think about it in like in real life when someone who is reviled by a large portion of the population passes away. There are some like, you know, stuff on Twitter about it. So this is I mean, that felt very real to me. It wouldn't have been real if they'd been like, you know, pretending that like they were were sad that he died. Um, The way it was executed was a little bit odd, like it felt very sort of slow and plotting and I think a lot of that was just the directing of the episode and I mean it kind of felt a little bit weird and I never say this but like that Rafe wasn't there because like you know Stefano wanted to um basically shoot his junk off and had him replaced with a double for a few months so he has some reasons to um bear a grudge um that's it so I like them just you know and I, it was kind of funny when they're like all those times we got kidnapped <laughs> you don't have to worry about that anymore. Remember when he hit it in a pit? Oh, yeah, you know, remember that time? I mean, you know, because he has done all these ludicrous things, and I like seeing all the flashbacks of um, the younger um, Stefano doing his various um, dastardly deeds, and I like that they touched on the ambiguity of, like, Kate's, relation, you know, on and off again relationship with him. Um I didn't like the way everyone's just given sort of hope like this free pass and like everyone a free pass for just like, you know, murdering them and doing all that because like it is the sense of, you know, well, what's the difference between us and them if you act like them? And it's that so that part all just seems out of character because it's been across the board on that show with all of the uh, bad people who have died lately. But I like the concept of like the anti-traditional soap funeral of like everyone, you know, talking trash about the dead person that they all hated and at it being in a bar because, you know, it's the Brady's and they got the Irish pub. So, I mean, conceptually, it was original. I just think, you know, the director could have picked up the pace a bit. Jamie, iconic Stefano, what did you think? Well, it kind of, you know... We've seen this before when you lose someone, you know, of an iconic nature in the years that a show is kind of on a more downward slide in terms of budget and and things of that nature. I mean, we saw a lot of it with World Turns, you know, 
Stenbeck's, you know, end game and, and things like that. You know, it, it just, so I'm trying to give them that, that I know that it's not as iconic. I mean, because a lot of Stefano's stories were so iconic and larger than life. I will say that on reflection, I've had a little bit of a, I'm giving pause about the hope situation because um, I was talking to an old friend about days and, you know, we were laughing about when Marlena shot Stefano, you know, God, I was a little boy and, you know, I was like, well, why, you know, of course it's like, well, when you're a kid, stuff doesn't, you know, things don't bother you as much. You're just watching television, but it's like, well, Marlena thought she killed him. And, you know, so I'm like, well, why am I so bothered by hope doing it and hope being a heroine? Marlena's a heroine and she shot the shit out of him. And I think it's because of course we know that this is the, well, I'm assuming this was the final, you know, every other time Stefano came back from the dead. But um, in a human sense, I get it. Because if someone has terrorized you for your entire adult life and has put a microchip in your brain that made you, you know, go whoring around on a submarine (laughs) and steal jewels and... You know, kidnapped, you thought he kidnapped your husband, he didn't, and all this other stuff. I totally get Hope doing it. I've had some time to kind of, like, separate each. I think my main thing is, why did all of this have to be back to back to back to back to back to back to back? Had this just, had had Hope shot Stefano and that been the only majorly jaw-dropping thing that Days did you know, in like a three-month span in terms of someone acting out of character, it might not have been as, as like, you know, WTF for me. But here we go. I mean, she shot Stefano. Now Joey's killed Ava. Uh, and in, in the middle of that, the little boy raped Sierra. And now next week, the children, spoiler alert, are going to go rogue and kidnap the rapist. And it's just like, when does it... until the Sierra rape. I knew all of that was going to happen. And I totally admit that that colored my view of everything. Cause I was like me knowing Bo's going to die. Sierra's going to get raped. All of this. I'm like, Jesus H Christ. Is this the 50th anniversary of days or is this true detective season three? But now I'm like, I'm not, I'm spoiler free now. And so I'm like, well, what next is Adrian going to get hit in the head with a mallet next week is Kate Roberts gonna, you know, have her arm cut off by, you know, Ben? Is he gonna become like some, he's gonna get, is he gonna start taking trophies now? I mean, I just don't know what to expect from days. I mean, the only, you know, the levity that the show is providing right now is 
everybody going to California to look for Marie Wilson because of Brady's dreams and you know I was just like what is, what am I missing here I'm seeing on Twitter again how brilliant it is and I'm going okay I guess maybe I don't know what I'm looking at. Maybe I need to watch with fresh eyes. I don't know. I like how your levity involved a woman trying to drown herself in the ocean. <laughs> oh, but no, she, when she got the, no, but then when she finds out that he has a private jet, she says that's reason enough not to kill herself. I'm like, I feel like that that um, is tied to him. I, I don't know how. I just feel like Brady's getting that same drug that caroline is in this vision really isn't like a dream it's just an actual side effect of the drug well no that's <laughs> mike making that up because that's not in the story <laughs> the story is that daniel's okay. heart is no i understand that and I, i'm not i'm not um why would he be getting the dementia drug know. well because uh deimos is what's his name deimos is Oh, well, trying to do, I don't know, and he's hooked so, up with that I, guy Finn. I just don't understand. You know, I've been ra- ranting about writers, so I have to rant more, even though this writer's gone. But oh, I did like the well, I did like the memorial because I did think it was great that they were actually giving him a tribute for all the time that he was there. Um, I wish that Hope and John had kind of related a little bit more of their stories with their past. Um, I, but you know, I'm, I'm also like, I do like that. Uh, I, I do have a little nod in the back of my head. And I think this might be kind of where you are, Jamie, with, you know, Marlena having shot him and now hope did, but I, I, I feel like sometimes now they've got Roman Rafe and, um, hope in this conspiracy. And I, I just, wonder how they're not going to write them into a corner mike what do you think of the teen rape storyline well (laughs) what do i think about it it's great no (laughs) well they uh acknowledged that she was raped so um claire was actually able to figure it out as far as the teen (laughs) the only show that has a teen group and they're slowly getting better for me but um slowly being the operative it, it is i slowly. yes it is but you know overall I, i'm still like i feel like days i i i had certain episodes that i like this week but i feel like something has shifted and i can't really place what shifted like all the things that were it's falling and it can't get up all the well, things that were moving on... have had slowed and and taken a not a different direction, but almost That's like because what you're seeing now is a reflection of the time when Dina was away. Gotcha. This okay. is the time when I kind of thought that's what it was, but I, you know, and it, it's see, and it's always jarring, you know, and I, and all these soaps in the last year or so have had so many writer changes, and all these shows have undergone jarring shifts in stories and characters and it just it gets to be I a lot i wish one of them would give an interview where they explain why when they take over shows that have 40 and 50 years worth of history and and you have a character like maggie horton with two daughters out there that you decide to give her not one but two egg babies you know from planet stolen egg it's like (laughs) 
they did a story on screen, on camera, that we saw where Maggie, who couldn't have a baby with Uncle Mickey because he was shooting blanks, had a baby, Sarah, through artificial insemination. It was groundbreaking for the times. They have an older adopted daughter, Melissa Anderson Horton, that gave her a grandson, Nathan, that was beloved by fans. But instead of bringing back Sarah or Melissa or any people that Maggie actually raised, they just keep giving her special extra children. And I don't understand why we need to go to California and dye Marie Wilson's hair blonde when she could have just been Sarah. I mean, she wouldn't have been my choice for Sarah. I've never wishful cast her for Sarah. I did wishful cast Melissa Archer for Sarah. I wishful cast Eden Regal for Sarah. I would even wishful cast Rebecca Herbst for Sarah. But I don't think we'll ever see Sarah. Not even if this show goes off the air. We will never hear Maggie talk about her daughter Sarah again because she keeps having so many special missing children show up in dreams and egg salad sandwiches and whatever else. And I don't understand when you have so many actual Hortons out there that we need. They're bringing back actual Hernandez's Dario, but we don't get actual Hortons back. We get egg salad sandwich dreams. That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what did you think of the rape storyline this week? Oh, God. It's just like, I don't understand what they were thinking. You create this whole new teen scene. Like, let's think back to, like, the last, you know, blast days. You had Sean, you had Philip. You know, they one was rich, one was more middle class. One was more of a bad boy, one was more of a preppy. And, like, the level of teen bad boy should be, like, you know, he rides a motorcycle, he cuts class, maybe he occasionally drinks, he, you know, he talks smack to adults. Now, Joey, the clear standout of this teen group, the guy who truly seems like he could be Patch and Kayla's son, a very talented young actor who could have had this red-hot, like, affair with Ava if they'd gone that way with the storyline, which would have been a really interesting way to go. Instead... They have him, because he's upset about what Ava's done to his family, get drunk, deliberately go to a hospital room, smother her with a pillow where he could have stopped at any time. Like, this was not like, you know, if he didn't, like, let's say, no on YNR and accidentally ran over Ava with the car and not realized it. He committed murder with malice to the point where I'm like, shouldn't Patch and Caleb be sending this boy to a mental hospital if they're trying to keep him out of prison? Because um, that's not normal. And then they've got Chase, who goes around, and he, you know, because Andre was like, when women say no, they really mean yes. And despite the fact that he would have been through, you know, as a member of contemporary society, have um, a member of Generation Z would have heard the opposite message many times his entire life. But he goes with what Andre says. And the way it's written, we're supposed to feel sorry for him. Like, he's sitting crying, like, nobody will take me in just because I raped this girl. And um, it's just kind of like, like, like we're supposed to see this as a tragedy on both ends, which is just kind of offensive to me. It's like the equivalent of, like, in real life when, like, those 
kids as football players in that small town went to got you know convicted for like that terrible thing where like you know they all sort of exchange videos of that girl that they like got yeah, like, they put it on at Twitter. the party and put it on Twitter mm-hmm. and then like the CNN anchors were like what a tragedy that these two young men's life are ruined and I right. and I and everyone else on earth was like wait what like that's sort of how this feels and it's just kind of like why would you if you're going to do the story why would you tell it this way why would you just make two of your young leading men on the canvas basically not viable leading men because that leaves us with just Theo I guess and where is the romance? Where's the part where Claire and Sierra both, you know, like the same guy and who's who, who's going to end up with who? And, you know, that you sort That's of want in the team we storyline. They did that when they brought those kids on and did that 90210 Dawson's Creek. We've seen that photo shoot a thousand times where they had, you know, Sierra on one side of Chase and Claire on the other, and then Joey. You know, I did wonder. I'm like, well, Joey can't hump either one of those girls because he's kin to him. So I was like, well, maybe Joey will be gay for Theo. I didn't know. You know, but they had them all on there looking all 90210-esque. If you'd have told me, oh, well, one's going to be a raper and one's going to be a killer <laughs> six months in, it's like, what the fuck? I really want to know, Josh Griffith and Nina Higley. What the fuck made you think? Let one of them be a killer and one of them a rapist. <laughs> I'm not losing my mind here. And people are like, it's good. It's good. It's better than Gary Tomlin and Chris White. So I'm just going to say it on behalf of Tom Sell. Bullshit. Has this been better than Tom Sell? Yes. The last six months of Tom Sell was shit. Everybody burns out in this genre. Everyone does. But when Tom Sell was on fire, you can't tell me that Nick Fallon terrorizing Sammy and Kate and Gabby was not better than this mess that we've seen. That boy with those sculpted eyebrows murdering and maiming through the town. (laughs) And now he's out of jail. He doesn't escape from the funny farm. Speaking of which, going around the circle real quick, because I see so much talk about it on Twitter. Mike, what do you think of Chabby? Oh, I like and where I like, that's going. I like them. They're they're fine, and I know that Ben's coming back, so they're they're good. They're really the probably the young the younger uh, set for you know. I think Chad is gonna not Chad. Is it Chad? Yeah, duh. Sorry, <laughs> I got so many names in my head right now. I just had a Luke attack. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no need to apologize. It's a common occurrence. Uh, I feel like Chad is going to be the one to figure out that Andre is telling the truth and that is probably going to set up some sort of conflict for them. But um, yeah, I'm fine with Chad and Abby. They're, they're good. Sarah, what are your thoughts? You know, they are growing on me in part because like, here's the deal. I, I like, I really love what they're doing with Chad. I he is the sort of morally gray conflicted, but not evil, not killing people like type of um, leading man that can drive a show. Billy Flynn has been knocking it out of the park in those scenes where he sort of came to, you know, grips with, um, with Stefano and he sort of had the vision of him and he absolutely pulled it off. And, you know, Billy Flynn gave all credit to Joe Mascolo on Twitter because that he's a good guy and that's what sort of person he is. 
young soap actors. You might want to learn from him about social media. And um, he, you know, I just wish they'd allow Abby to be more interesting instead of having her just, you know, clutch her pearls and be, you know, this sort of 1950s style, like, separate wife. Because Kate Manson <laughs> is absolutely capable of being an interesting, multidimensional, flawed character. This is the girl who is ready to, like, who, again was blackmailing EJ for some, for some of a, you know, another night with him. So, and um, never cried, but now all she does is cry. So she I just, just say, a river. let's just make, let, let Abby go more towards Chad than having the conflict be like, Abby's upset that Chad is not a saint. Let's let them be the kind of cool, sort of badass, both of them flawed type um, couple that the show could absolutely need. Let's have them be frankly, the new E-Jammy. Yeah, just Wait. embrace it. Embrace you know? it. Yeah. Let, you know, let Abby play up her bad girl side. Let them encourage each other. Let them have the kind of conflict that comes from who both of they are as people, as well as the um, external world being opposed to them. And then you have a couple that can go for years. He should buy her the spectator. They should be sitting up in the afterglow, eating strawberries and, and whipped cream, reading the spectator, and Abby going, Ugh, this new editor is ruining my dad's old newspaper. And Chad is like, Really? You think so? Yeah. You know, he taught me this is how you run a newspaper. And, you know, so Chad's just sitting there grinning at her, watching her get all spirited about this paper and, you know, her dislike of where journalism in Salem is going. And then he surprises her by buying the spectator as some, you know, grand romantic gesture. Then she gets all feminist on him and it's like, who asked you to buy me a newspaper? And they have to go through all of that until she finally accepts. And then they run the spectator together. And let's, get, and let's make it real real. It didn't cost him much about a spectator. It's this local no, newspaper. He bought it for like five dollars. <laughs> and you know you buy papers for a dollar these days. So yeah, I mean You know, and have him be like, you know, him be like, Well, why don't you turn this around? Why don't you make it young and hip and have like a, an online division of it and stuff? Yeah. And then they could go up against you know, they could actually have Titan Publishing publishing again. And then, you know, Abigail and, and you know, and then that could be the thing. Oh, the Demiris have bought a newspaper now. And Abigail having to, like, you know, fight for the integrity of the paper and against claims that it was just the Demiris buying, you know. Because what do powerful men always do? If you look back to the old days. Joe Adelson, who just bought the Las Vegas one. Yeah, they always buy their own newspaper. They buy their own press. So Chad buying a newspaper and installing his woman as the editor, that's a perfect modern sexy story, especially in this age of dying newspapers. You know, Abby being, you know, hell-bent to save her father's paper. And, you know, you could bring Jennifer into that because she would not like the fact that, you know, it's now Demera-owned. And, you know, I mean, there's just so much fun stuff they could be doing other than weeping and, you know, ooh, ooh. That's all Abby does every time I turn. Ooh. Mike, speaking of fun stuff, were you happy that Victor was arrested on The Young and the Restless? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, gee, YNR is the show to be watching right now. I mean, last week was great. They, they're, they like, hitting the beats with the dialogue and, and uh, 
Gina Tagnoni's brought Phyllis back to life. And, you know, my, my overarching concern with this is that Victor is not really going to pay. So is there going to be a payoff for it? I guess we'll find out. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. That episode was, was good. And I got to tell you, I, I'm liking the richer, soapier version of Victor's dream <laughs> more than I like. I mean, the everybody was dressed to the nines and, you know, the hair, the makeup, the the clothes, the, the stories that were, you know, a, a fiction of the Victor Newman's imagination of life without him. Um, I liked it. I thought it was really pretty good. Jamie? Wow. Oh, my God. Eric Braden was incredible in that whole – I mean, the way that he and Hunter King, I got to give a shout-out to her. I know she does not get a lot of credit, but I feel she was the perfect – screen partner for those exchanges she's the I only mean, one that's always been like that about him right and you know someone should tell her hey girl he brought patty to town and she gave you some peanut butter and that's why you <laughs> act so slowful you know because <laughs> papa did it but you know it's like <laughs> she's you know she's very much like victoria in a way, you know, that granddaddy's girl, because of course Victoria finally had enough and handed over the evidence to Paul. But I just, oh my God, the whole lead up, people have been begging for years for Victor to face um, his comeuppance. And of course, we all know Victor ain't going to jail for long, but I feel that this was a big step in this show saying, no, he has to at least get a perp walk for hiring a Latin doppelganger to take over Jack Abbott's life. I love that Nikki and the children were like, no. And Noah, it's like, no, Grandpa, we are not trying to feel you on this one. We are not trying to sit up here and care that you're blustering about doing this for us. Because you didn't do that for the Newmans. You did not hire a doppelganger to take over Jack's life. Because for, for your kids and grandkids. It's like Victor fully believes that, and so does Eric Braden, as <laughs> as showcased in his interview with TV God's Michael Logan. He is like, Victor shouldn't apologize for anything. <laughs> Phyllis liked it. It's like, oh, Lord, Eric. They, but, uh, um, they actually you know. took a, a bad story from last year, one of the worst ones of mm-hmm. all the soaps, mm-hmm. and a year later have turned it into something that's compelling to watch. And it was bright. It's true. And, and, was and Sarah, when and Sarah every that. week we're saying the same thing, and it's Chuck Pratt who's doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I, what did you I think, think, Sarah? I think the ghost of the spirit of Bill Bell has possessed Chuck Pratt. I think that is the most, the, give it that seems as likely an explanation as anything else, given all the ghosts that are running around Genoa City. Um, it is this, it was, it was so good. And I love that, like, all the women are finally like, screw you, Victor. Like, that Nikki is like, I can't deal, you know, I cannot take this anymore. You've crossed the line. That everyone is it. And I like that they're just dealing with the fact that rich people in America can buy their way out of stuff. And they're like, look what Noah did. Victor's going to do it, too. I love, I that's love, so real. I said, I lo- I said that Noah wasn't going to get in, I mean, cause get in trouble because of he, him being a Newman. I love it's that. so real. And um, especially which it needs, given that this is a storyline hinging on. It becoming public knowledge that the that the equivalent of like 
you know, Donald Trump hired a doppelganger to impersonate his business rival. Um, and it is, he you know. He tried if he could. If he knew somebody, look, if he knew somebody who could hire a doppelganger right now of Ted Cruz to to get on stage and say he's getting out of the race, you know Trump would do it. How about that whole fake story that Victor had to keep Jack in line by saying yeah. that he was responsible for blowing up the boat when he did it. <laughs> I think that was some good retconning right there. Cause, you know, we thought, but he's like, yeah, actually, everybody got out the boat. Wasn't but a thing. You know, Kelly's probably going to turn out to be alive or to have been killed by somebody other than Jack. And, you know, which I am fine with, frankly, because I didn't like Jack having, you know, being blamed for killing, you know, 50 people or whatever to get out of the situation. So, I mean, it's great. Like, the only thing that was a false note for me was Phyllis, like, being like, oh, I don't want this to become public knowledge. Phyllis, I know, would have, you know, staged a press conference herself. So Phyllis, I know, would have been periscoping herself, telling everyone about it in graphic detail. Because she has nothing to be ashamed of. It's just like, you know, the idea after everything Phyllis has done, that she'd be embarrassed that, like, she had sex with someone other than her husband. Or, or if they still had Restless Style, she could put the whole story in Restless Style and it would just hit the stands and everybody would find out about it. But, uh, but I did love that, like, everybody has taken sides and that everyone, you know, and it's just led to so many, you know, unexpected allegiances for, like, Summer and Luca and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that you, characters that I had no use for, I suddenly am, like, interested in. I, like, I love that Adam took Victor's power play away from him because that's how I roll. It's like, you are not going to ever blackmail me. Adam was like, I'm going to tell Chelsea that I hit it with Sage and I fathered Paprika Jr. I'm going to tell her. (laughs) Tell her myself. And, you know, Nikki showed so much growth, in my opinion, because I get tweeted this all the time from people. Why does Nikki stay with Victor? And I'm like, because they're the super couple of the show. Y'all know that. But, you know, there are a lot of people who really want Victor to pay just as much as the GH fans want Sonny to pay. And I just think, especially when Nikki said to Jack, you know, I'm going to give you the apology that Victor's never going to give you. I mean, it's like that is a woman who has been with the man for her, you know, on and off her entire adult life, pretty much, you know, you know, uh, give or take a couple of foster brothers or whatever, <laughs> you know, and she is like, I know he is not going to say that he's sorry. Victor did say to Summer that he felt remorse for hurting Noah, and that was even huge. I'm like, Eric slipping? He let them get that in? You know? <laughs> I was like, what? Victor showed some remorse? For hurting Noah, um, Wyatt R, we've all been saying it, it is killer. Now, it does have something that needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. and that is this Ashley versus Well, that's where, story. that's where I'm yep. going next. Jamie, your beloved Ashley got booted this week. Yeah, and I'm just going to be real. Hillary having, you know, basically, and I love Hillary being in feisty mode, But this kind of comes out of nowhere, considering she worked so hard to prove to the Winters that she wasn't scheming and on the make. And now she's going to blackmail Ashley with her medical issues to become 
more of a power player at Hivon Pharmaceuticals. And I don't know what that company is really called. I just call it Hivon Pharmaceuticals. And I'm like, so it makes no sense to me because first of all, Ashley can just go back to Jabot, which she's a co-owner and a board member and a lead chemist at. I kind of, I, I'm totally okay, and I've said this before, I'd love for Devon to actually, and I would name it that for real, I would love for him to start Hivon Pharmaceuticals and for he and Hillary to, you know, have their own power base, but I don't, I'm not really engaged in this story, because to me, if Ashley's fighting for her life, she shouldn't be so interested in this company anyway, it should be more of a health story. This feels, that is the only part of the show that I'm like, okay, Chuck, you're recycling from your old stories. Because this, you know, Dr. Neville and Ashley reeks of, of Michael Mancini trying to save Amanda Woodward in secret when Amanda had cancer on Melrose Place, which led to the whole crazy Peter Burns and Jasmine guy Tried, Jasmine Guy tried to kill Amanda and all that weird, wonky stuff that was not Melrose Place at its best. And that's just what this islanded story feels like. I just kind of need for Hillary, Devon, Neil, Lily, Kane, Ashley to be, you know, folded gently into the hot umbrella story that's already going. Ashley is the easiest entryway into this because Ashley, other than the Newmans, Ashley knows all too well what it means to, you know, be the victim of Victor's shenanigans. She lost her marbles because of her relationship with Victor Newman. She should have a stake in this. He destroyed her brother. Vic, she should be rushing in there and confronting Victor and screaming and yelling at him. And then she falls out. And that. That's how everyone learns she has a brain tumor. Neil should also be involved in this because Victor should summon Neil to the hospital. I mean, not to the hospital, to the to the jail. He should ask to see Neil because who was always the one there for Victor when his children turned on him? Neil. He needs Neil now. He needs Neil. And Neil should have the the privilege of saying, yeah, I'm good, Victor. No, you know, he, that, that should be a scene. I need you right now, Neil. I need you to be my proxy at Newman Enterprises. My children and my wife, they're conspiring against me. And then Neil just take it all in and listen and then say, nah, I'm good, son. And, and bounce because, you know, Michael Baldwin, you know, Victor's other ace, um, according to spoilers, is going to be siding with Phyllis. And, you know, that makes sense because Phyllis is his best friend. And, you know, Phyllis, spoiler alert again, is going to be asking Michael to, you know, throw the case, you know, to represent Victor and throw the case. And when I read that, it kind of felt like, hmm. I mean, Michael definitely has gone against Victor before because Michael was part of the coup that helped Diane Jenkins and Brad and Jack steal back Jabot all those years ago. So, I, it, you know, finding out that Victor, you know, orchestrated Phyllis's rape would be enough to test his loyalties. But I'd like to see some of those islanded characters folded in to this story a little better. I mean, my God, fans, I got ripped for making fun of Lily being with me. Uh, I called Lily a hoe on Twitter, and Lord have mercy, you know, because, and I was, you know, I call everybody a hoe. But I said, oh, look, Lily is Nick's hoe in this story. And, oh, my God, I had to. And, you know, and I will say, even though in my defense I say the same type of stuff about Olivia Pope, only liking white men, 
But anyway, I get it. I get it. I'm going to be more sensitive about stuff like that. But you do need to kind of fold those characters in to the better story as opposed to just kind of having them off on the side in these wonky, you know. I mean, there's there's all sorts of beats that can be played. Lauren should be wondering, should I be pulling Newman merchandise from my shelves at, at, you know, there should be at least a conversation where Victoria's having to call Lauren and say, no, 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 don't remove Brash and Sassy, because, I mean, this is a scandal. I mean, you know, the CEO of this company has hired a doppelganger. I mean, think about what's going on with Sumner Redstone. You know, that affects uh, Viacom stock and yep. its, its viability. So Lauren should be like, what's going on, Newmans? Do I need to pull your shit from my shelves? You know, you guys hiring doppelgangers from the middle, you know, not from the Middle East, from the from Central America over there. You know, I mean, there should be, they should make this umbrella bigger and just pull, you know, just kind of cover the entire canvas and get them all into the good storytelling is what I'm saying. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just all it's just like they were missing a beat with Hillary. Just give me a reason why she, you know, pissed at Ashley. Give me a reason why she's doing this. And you can do it in a couple of episodes, you know, if it's as simple as like she, you know, because it's like way back in the day, wasn't Hillary like Jack's assistant? Like, so she was in this, you know, from the beginning, if we can just sort of come up with some reason why she's, you know, wanting to stuff again, or if she's really not okay with Dr. Neville helping, you know, per- perpetuating her being held hostage for longer, and therefore she wants to work against the lab by taking it over. Just give me some clearly articulated reason for why she is doing what she's doing, and I'm there with it. It's just that you haven't done that. It was just like, you skipped that, they just skipped that step. Um, and that is what is, what is odd to me. Um, and, you know, hell, make it that it's some crazy, I mean, well, actually, no, don't make it that it's because of Neville's weird treatments of her. But it's just like, but just give us a reason that she expresses on screen in a way that we can all understand why she is doing what it is she is doing. Um, but like, in you know, I'm glad, though, that they are letting her get her you know get her ovaries back like in a way that she'd been so neutered before um because like i love her her versus lily i love her being someone who is a character like phyllis who is a character who you know is a little bit more outrageous who isn't so sweet and i feel like so often like characters who are um not white they're afraid to do that with them so they become these really sort of sanitized like boring one-dimensionally good characters and i'm glad that they're not falling into that trap with hillary when they've got this great actress playing her just you know show show your work is all i'm saying they're taking such care of every other beat of the oh, story no, I just gave me math class flashbacks <laughs> show your work the teachers used to say Mike? that when i would be cheating and they would know <laughs> And I would get some smart boy to tell me. I'd be like, hey, let me see your paper. And then, look, get the paper and write all the answers down. And then the teacher would be like, Jamie, you didn't show your work. Oh, I got the right answer, though. Why I got to show my work? (laughs) Mike, what did you think? Uh, Well, you know, again, I'm going to agree with Jamie and Sarah. I feel like this is the one missing 
uh, part of the show that doesn't make sense. I don't understand why Hillary is all of a sudden pushing Ashley out of a job. And I don't know that Ashley would ever be blackmailed into giving up a job. And I feel like the, the show goes on in one universe and then these guys are like shoved down in a basement somewhere. And <laughs> it's like, uh, there's nobody else working for this company. I don't get a feeling that, you know, that this is a big operation because they, they are in the lab and, and Ashley has this little. And they shouldn't be, football. they should not be in the so, demo lab. That is yeah. sacred. They need, if they want this to be a go, they need to find a new set them because they do not need to be in the Jabot lab and first of all Ashley's need to have her ass back at the Jabot lab anyway it's like I don't like these movements to try to move things away from Jabot you know it's like no you let Hillary and Devon get there and you know in my opinion and I'm gonna be real and I'm gonna just go here and I know this is sacred to the Jill character but just Walton is not on full-time you know she by her choice she has decided to you know just recur I would love for Devon to buy the mansion. I know that yeah. Kate put it in mm-hmm. her will that um, that you know Jill couldn't sell it. Any lawyer worth their salt can can figure out a way around an eighty year old woman's <laughs> will. You know, go ahead and figure out a way for that house to be bought by Devon and Hillary. I would also love for Devon to change his name since we're going to always consider him Catherine Chancellor's grandson. I would love for him to change his name to Devon Chancellor for Hillary to be the new Mrs. Chancellor and for Jill to lose her shit over that. You know, when they do bring her back, you're not fit to wear the Chancellor name. I'd love for Hillary to be draped in diamonds, to be walking around that mansion like the Queen of Siam and, you know, bring Esther's ass back on in there and put her ass back in that chambermaid's costume. (laughs) Don't need her serving no lattes at Crimson Lights. Have Esther back in there and have the black Chancellor. And, and would it the ultimate insult be for Hillary to walk in there and be like, this place needs a major overhaul? Yes, yes. So she so makes it all. Like, she goes cookie Stay. You know? So, wait, pause for a second. Is it Jill or is it who who owns the Chancellor Mansion? Jill, Does Jill own it, Jill own it all right outright, or right. is it still half? No, she owns it outright. Oh, because yeah. I was going to say it'd be really fantastic if it was somehow split, well, so that there well, could be yeah, a rivalry be again. Great, but you know they don't. She's not. Jess isn't coming on all time. So well, no, but that's could, what I was yeah. meaning. But they well, could she have also, Jill... Jill also complained that the maintenance alone. Yeah, and Jill cost, could be the cost of fortune, so she really wasn't Jill getting could... anything out of the deal. To have yeah, stuff. Jill could be cash strapped. <clears throat> Devon could get his lawyers on it, and they find out that yes, he can buy the house. You know, and that that allows Jill. You know, and then they could do a caveat where Jill has lifelong residence in the house. Devon will own it, but so that way, when she does, when she is able to come to the show, they can play her with them and have all these fun scenes and stuff like that. But let Devon own that, and so that way, that iconic set is still used. And you have Hillary just having her full-on young Brenda Dixon-esque moment of I am 
finally on top of the hill. I am Mrs. Chancellor. And you know, if they did it right, if they did it right, they could figure out a way to do what the Quartermains did, where it's always Monica who is like, "It's my house." Not <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if, they, I, if they if they figured out a way to do that, that'd be fantastic. Just be, I, I, mean, I want them to keep Esther around in her exactly. classic uniform. Have. See, and that was why I was wondering if Esther owned part of it, because no. if you had Esther own half of it and if Devon owned half of it, Devon that could be can, fun. Yeah, but Devon's a billionaire. He can own his own house. He can own yeah. the house. Yeah. Esther can be the maid. Hillary can be like, you know, f- you know, fussing at, you know, they can do some funny stuff. They could be like, um, Esther, yes, Mr. Devon will be wanting collard greens and you know, a nice pot roast. And Esther's like, I don't know how to cook collard greens. I mean, they can just, and then she'd be like, learn, Esther. You know, and just being like Cookie Lion a little bit in that house. And then you-, you bring back Roxanne with Devon's kid. Just as, you know, she's getting settled in, then we find out, Lily finds out, Some Lily and Kane go to New York for the weekend, and they're in Central Park, and they see Roxanne, you know, with this, little boy and Lily's like who's your son and then she's like Devon Jr. you know and then Lily gets this light bulb that she's like yes this is exactly what I've been needing to vanquish that bitch and then Lily brings Roxanne to town with her and say Devon and Hillary are having some huge housewarming party at the new Chancellor Mansion, you know, and with all this press and, you know, they're just relishing being the new, you know, while Jill is like, this is just disgusting. You know, they aren't fit to wear the Chancellor name. And then you have Roxanne walk in with Devon's son. Jamie, one of the other things that I was thinking of as you were talking about that, because that's a fantastic idea, would be if they could bring Chloe back. And it would be Chloe versus Hillary. I would be totally on board for Chloe versus Hillary. Okay, I could see. <laughs> well, with es- with Esther being there yeah. and Chloe being around and going after a wealthy guy, it's in Chloe's making to yeah, do it. Yeah, I mean, she could go after Devon. We, I we guess. have to make her, you know, a little more. Um, Chloe has a lot of stuff to deal with before that, though, because well, no, I know, but I was just yeah. thinking from a standpoint of Esther's daughter versus Hillary, and Hillary thinks that she's on top of the world now, and then all of a sudden Esther's the maid's daughter is back and in the house, and because I mean Chloe in many respects has been written like she grew up there well, sometimes. True, but Chloe, I mean, yeah, she's Kate, she's Catherine's namesake, but they, I'd love for Chloe to come back. But considering that she supposedly had a baby that's either Billy's or Kevin's, that's six months worth of story they have to deal with before. Whereas Roxanne is actually Devon's. Chloe needs lady. Chloe needs somewhere to live while she's getting all that worked yeah, out. They can, she can live her ass at the athletic club, smelling old towels like everybody. Listen, does. it's always fun. The more people you put in a big mansion, the better. Unless you're on Guiding Light. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, that that's, you know, that that has to be said. The mansion can't be the writer's studio at um Yes, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. You have uh, that's what I'm saying. It has to be the Chancellor Mansion Yeah, its Chloe, I would love for Chloe to be, but I I would make I mean, I'm going to be honest, if I had Devon and Hillary in that house, I would have a string of arcs with old school beloved people that, you know, I'd have Jill come in whenever Jess wants to. Trisha Cash Trisha, come back. Know, Nina come for a visit and not realize how much things have changed. And then, you know, she sees like a a faux uh, zebra print 
rug on the floor. <laughs> so be like, well, come on in, cousin Nina, or what? <laughs> just um, you know, just fill up. You know, bring back Tom Beards for a guest spot, and you know, just bring back all of them when when you can, every once in a while, to keep you know, and that you know, and Devon could put up some you know that I, I'm going to be honest that drawing they have of Kay is so tired. I mean, it's so, like, I can barely tell it's a Catherine drawing. It looks like a sketch or something. I want, you know, Devon to put a big-ass, you know, ornate Catherine Chancellor uh, portrait in the oh, middle of the living room. Get Amber to come back for a visit. I like to point out that we we love yeah. this storyline about the house, and we're all annoyed with, like, the bold storyline about the house, because this one... We make sense. It's actually interesting. Yeah, well, you know, Catherine's house was so much more a central fighting point on Y&R. I mean, my God, Jill and Kay fought over that estate. She kept calling it a mausoleum. Yeah, you know, she dogged it out, but she wanted it. You know, it was so (laughs) awesome. You know, and then when Jill was staying with her that time and she was snooping around in the attic and that's when she found out that old man Chancellor wanted her to have everything. And, oh, that was so good. They had that cat fight in that attic and... Jill and Kay was slinging each other all across that room, and that rat ran. Oh, God. And considering how much Tyler uh, Perry is a fan of Catherine Chancellor, if you could get him to do well, a cameo, that'd be fantastic. Like you have, that's what I'm saying, the black... No, I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're doing what you're doing, considering you're such a fan, have him, maybe for, like, the anniversary of Catherine's passing or something, have Tyler Perry do a cameo. Oh, exactly. He could play some sort of... As long as he's <laughs> not Medea. He could be the lawyer. <laughs> Look, he could be the lawyer that Devon goes to to, you know, allow him to buy the house. I mean, that would Or maybe this happens all the time. Maybe the will that was read wasn't the right one. Well, you know, I know that they were going to do that at one point, but I guess they just scrapped it. But um yeah, I mean, Devon and Hillary embracing his chancellor identity. And yes, you know, I know if Jillian was here, she would say, but that boy ain't no chancellor because Catherine, uh, you know, that's her married name. But still, if you find out, like tomorrow, if I find out that... If you find out that you're the descendant of a Kerr, you'd be cha- that was a billionaire, you'd be changing your name? No, I ain't talking about no Kerrs. <laughs> I was about joking. to say, if I found out that Jackie, that I was blood relatives with Jackie Booth call it I can damn sure tell you I'm about to call myself Jamie Kennedy Onassis it's just <laughs> I don't care that if I'm just I would be like I'm Jamie Kennedy Onassis bitch you know so divine that's so a black thing too I'm sorry divine would be fuck Hamilton my name is divine Mr. Divine Chancellor and Hillary would certainly be she would have it on her Look, she would have it on her license plate, Mrs. C. And Jill just being mad as hell every time she sees any reminder of these, you know, nouveau reach social climbers, you know. But but the thing is, is and that's fantastic, but how can you have Jill sell the house and then be pissed at them because for doing it? Because she's broke. Because okay, Robert broke. Okay. Scorpio has, you know, bankrupted her <laughs> by, by running around, you know, Port Charles, New York, helping his ex-wife. Doesn't she still own one of the companies? Doesn't she still have 50%? No, Devon of- gave her the money to buy Chancellor. And that could be part well, of... I'm talking about Fenmore. Doesn't she still have some of Fenmore? I thought she... What did? I don't even remember what happened to that. But she was supposedly broke when Kay died because she could barely keep up the upkeep of the house. And I'm like, 
Finmore's is a department store chain. I mean, I know JCPenney ain't doing as well as it used to be, but Lauren is still looking fly and fabulous at every scene. So, I mean, yeah, they there are other aspects of the show that I wish were galvanized, but the fact that you know, their A and B story, pretty much, because I just, it's two facets of that, because Billy and Phyllis are red hot, you've got Victor's downfall is fire, Noah and Marissa scintillating, and now you've got Luca with Summer, I still love me some Natalie, I mean, there's just so much under that umbrella that's working, that yeah, I mean, Luke, you were saying my little silly egg salad thing was the title. No, Sarah's thing should be the title of this podcast. The ghost of Bill Bell possesses Chuck Pratt. Okay. I will put it on as the title. And on that note, we would encourage you to comment on this episode at daytimeconfidential.com. Add us as a friend on Facebook, like us there. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash DC Confidential. Sarah, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at Deep Soap. Mike? Uh, at MPJ24. And Jamie? You can find me at SexyNoisesTurnMeOn.com. No, you can find me. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Jamie, J-A-M-E-Y underscore Giddens, G-I-D-D-E-N-S. And you can find me at at Luke underscore Kerr. Until next time, that's a lot. Original underscore.